I want to preach this morning on the subject, David displays his greatest strength. David displays his greatest strength. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word this morning. Heavenly Father, I hunger to accomplish your will. And I'm amazed at how you have chosen preaching, the preaching of your word to accomplish your will in our lives. It is important, Lord, that first we listen, but then, Lord, that we listen not just to learn, but that we listen to do. And may, Lord, as we hear the truth of the message, decide even before we hear it, I'm going to obey the truth of the Word of God that's preached this morning. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I believe the greatest man to sit on an earthly throne was that of King David. It is quite amazing to read about his life and how God prepared him for that place of service to his nation. Without a doubt, God prepares all of us for a greater service for Him. Here's what I believe. I believe that as we serve, God prepares us to serve. And while we serve, He prepares us to serve. I believe even in our serving, we're preparing. And I'm, I'm uh, uh, mindful as I look at the Scriptures, the number of folks that God used as young men and used more and more and more as they yielded and as they learned and used even trials in their life to become a greater servant for the Lord. Now David's life is somewhat familiar to us, but I want to review just a few things so we can see the greatest strength that David ever displayed as a lesson of character, a Bible character trait for you and I to follow in our lives. First of all, I want to remind you that David was the youngest son of Jesse. There were several boys in the family, and David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. According to the Bible, he was just a fine young man, a fine-looking young man David was. David cared for his father's sheep. Now, anyone could do it, but David did it. There's something to be said of that. Uh, sometimes anyone can do something, but no one wants to do it. David was willing to care for his father's sheep. I believe David displayed his love for two different things. First of all, he displayed his love for his father as he cared for his father's sheep, but also he displayed a love for the sheep. And it's obvious when you read David's life that he cared about those sheep. It wasn't just a job. It wasn't just something to do. It wasn't just a, his occupation, uh, but he loved doing what he was doing. In David's work of caring for the sheep and loving them, he became quite an outdoorsman and he became quite a good shepherd. In fact, he endangered his own life to protect the lives of the sheep. There was a time, according to the Bible, that a lion and a bear came to get one of the sheep uh, for lunch and David said, no, nothing doing. I'm not going to uh, give one of my lambs to a lion or a bear. And it's interesting. Here's how he described that event. It's quite impressive. Now, this is, this is not a tale. This is truth. 
But here's what David said. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. <clears throat> and there came a lion and a bear. And I don't know if they came the same time, two different times. I don't know. It just says there came a lion and a bear. It wouldn't matter to me. I'd be just as afraid the first time, the second time, or all at once. Uh, I'd be getting my tennis shoes on to see if I could outrun those lions, that lion and bear. Uh, but anyway, he said there came a lion and a bear. And he said this, And took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him <laughs> and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I smote him and I slew him. That's a pretty good story, isn't it? That's the truth too. That's what David did to the old lion. I don't know about you, that's quite impressive. You've got to be quite a, an outdoorsman. You've got to be quite a, a, a man of the outdoors, be pretty brave to do that. I mean, I would be thinking, you know, I think it would be easier to raise more sheep than it would be to try to rescue that one there. Uh, I mean, uh, but anyway, that's exactly what David did, and uh, he told Saul that. Now, David learned to use a slingshot, and we know that, and he learned to use it very well. I don't know how far he was from Goliath, but he was able to take the stone and put it right where he wanted to, uh, right between the old running lights there, and uh, hit uh, Goliath on the forehead, and of course later uh, cut his head off. And as I said last, uh, last week, and Goliath died of COVID-19. Uh, but anyway, uh, David learned to use a slingshot. Uh, David also learned to play the harp. Now, it wasn't an easy instrument to play. It would have been quite a challenge. And David was quite a balanced man. He's an outdoorsman and takes care of sheep. He, uh, the lions and bear know not to mess with David's sheep or he'll come and get you. And, uh, but at the same time, David learns to play a harp. And he learns to play it so well that when Saul was in a state of frustration that he looked for somebody that could play the harp. And you can imagine if the king is looking for a harp player, he's going to get the best. And so David was chosen and he played for King Saul. You also know the story and perhaps the most well-known story of David uh, is the fact that he killed the champion fighter of the Philistines. He killed Goliath. Now what a story that is in and of itself as he went to give food to his brothers, get a report for his father and go back and tell his father how things are going in battle. He heard Goliath curse the God of heaven, curse the, uh, uh, the the army of Israel and David said is there not a cause in just a little while uh, here he goes with his five smooth stones and the slingshot and a little while he comes back with the head of the giant uh, uh, dragging it across the field and he's killed not just a Philistine but he killed the champion I mean, he killed the big Goliath and what a story uh, that it is and has been told again and again. Now, all of this was a part of David's training and preparation to be the next king of Israel. I want to reiterate that, make sure you don't miss that statement. All of this was a part of David's training and preparation to be the next king of Israel, a nation that he would love, a nation that he would protect, a nation that he would give himself for. Now, I'll just mention this because I think it's an important truth. Solomon, he was a kingdom builder. David was a shepherd king. He didn't live to be served. He lived to serve. Now, I want to say this for sake of our college. I'm not interested in raising Solomons that are kingdom builders. The church is not a business where you see how I many folks can serve you. A church is where God gives to the church an under-shepherd to serve the people of the church. 
We're not kingdom builders, we're servants. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back as the shepherd king as David was. Now let me ask you this question. Do you ever think of your trials as preparation for your life in a place of service? Maybe a place of leadership, a place of influence, a place of example, a place of encouragement. You may be here this morning, you're frustrated because of a difficulty that you're going through. I believe that difficulty is ordered of the Lord and God will use that in your life to be an example to others or to lead others or to help others. Think about that. David's trials in life were to prepare him for God's will for his life. Now perhaps David's greatest trial in life to this point was the fact that Saul became jealous of him. David had become well known to the people and you can imagine why. He's killed Goliath. He has uh, been the chosen harp player for the king. Uh, and, and the people just admire and they love David and Saul is jealous of that love that the people have toward David and Saul lets his anger grow to, or, or jealousy grow to anger and the anger to grow to bitterness. And he comes to the place that he threatens to kill David. In fact, one day while David was playing the harp, Saul took a javelin and he threw it at David to kill him. David was able to escape. When you come to this chapter, Saul finds out what area that David is hiding in, running from Saul, and he takes 3,000 men. Think of that, 3,000 soldiers to go get David. Now perhaps the greatest trial up to this point in David's life is not just the individual hatred of Saul, but that he has mobilized the best of his army to kill David and to get rid of him because of the jealousy. You see, he wanted all the praise. Thank God for a king that came to the throne that didn't want the praise, but he wanted to do a great work that God would get the glory and get the praise. May that be true in our lives. And sometimes we're frustrated by the trials that come to our life because life is not about the will of God or the person of God. Life to us is about us, and that's a miserable way to live. But the way to live a happy life is to see our life in the will of God. It's interesting what happens in this story. Coincidence? I don't think so. I think it's divine providence. David is in a cave, and he is resting with a few of his men as he's been running from King Saul. King Saul has 3,000 soldiers. And they find out the area they think David is in. And in their pursuit of him, King Saul comes to a time in the day that he's weary and tired. And they say, Saul, why don't you go in this cave and rest? And the Bible talks about how Saul went in and he covered his feet. Or it was just a time to rest. He had no idea that was the same cave that David was in. The Bible said that David was in the sides of the cave. There was King Saul. Now David's men said to him, here's an opportunity to kill this guy that's after you. By the way, David knows he's been anointed. He knows he's going to be the next king of Israel. So why not just go ahead and kill Saul? Follow the advice of those men that are with him. But as the story goes, David, he goes down and he cuts a piece of material from Saul's robe while Saul is asleep. And then he goes back to his place holding that piece of material. 
The Bible says that the Lord smote his heart just because of what he had done. For you see, he was God's anointed. Now he wasn't doing right. He wasn't living right. But we learn a great lesson that wasn't between Saul and David. That's between Saul and God. God God does have the ability to take care of his own. David recognized Saul as God's anointed. It smote his heart that he had even cut a piece of his robe off. As you go through the story in this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 24, you find as Saul comes to the end of his time of rest and he goes outside of the cave, that David steps out of the cave. And can you imagine the surprise as he calls for Saul's attention? He holds up a piece of cloth. It's the same color of what Saul's wearing. And Saul looks down and a part of his robe is missing. And David said, I could have killed you, but you're God's anointed. I'll let God take care of that. And I want you to notice, if you'll follow with me again, Saul's response to what David said and what David had done to use restraint and keep his respect and honor for God's anointed. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. Look at this verse. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, look at these words, I know well that thou, sh- that thou shalt surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine own hand. Let me put some perspective here. It was not the strength of David to kill a lion and a bear that impressed Saul. It was not the strength of David that killed Goliath and came back with the head of the giant in his hand that impressed Saul. It was not David's strength to simply be an obedient servant to his father and care for the sheep, nor was it his ability to play the harp that impressed Saul. Don't miss it now. This is the purpose of the whole message. Look right here. It was the strength of David's self-control that impressed Saul and made him recognize that David was God's anointed and chosen to be the next king of Israel. What strength. That is strength that I refer to and I believe it is the Bible definition of meekness. Now, here's a statement I've learned some time ago. I want to give it to you today. I believe it's so important. Meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. 
Meekness is not weakness. Some may say, David, you're afraid of Saul. I don't think he is. He went and found the lion that had the lamb in its mouth and he grabbed that old lion by the beard and killed the lion, left it laying there and went back to the uh, uh, flock with that one little lamb under his arm. I don't think he's afraid of Saul. I don't think if you said, well, David, you're afraid of him. Uh, that's why you don't take his life. I, I don't think a man that would uh, uh, cut the head off of a giant and come dragging his head back across the valley, I don't think he's a man of weakness. I don't think he's a man of fear, but he is a man of weakness. That is not weakness, but it is power under control. You see, David recognized who he was. He was a servant of God. He recognized who Saul was. Saul was God's anointed. And God would decide when Saul would begin and when Saul would end. And David respected not only himself, he respected Saul. He respected that God was in control. And he said, I'm going to let God take care of this. I'm going to let Saul remo uh, God remove Saul in his time. It was that strength that so impressed Saul that he said, Surely God's power is on you and God has chosen you to be the next king. May I say it was the power of Christ on the cross, not just to pay for our sin, but to stay on the cross when they mocked him and they said, others he saved, himself he cannot save. I'm so glad. Now I want to tell you something today. He could have called 10,000 angels to set him free. Uh, he didn't have to die on the cross. By the way, they did not take his life. Uh, he gave his life on the cross of Calvary and the great power of the Lord Jesus and the great strength of the Lord Jesus was the fact that he stayed there when they mocked him. They made fun of him. They took his clothes from him and they shamed him in front of his own mother and family and they gambled and cast lots for his garment. I'm glad that Jesus was strong enough not only on that day of creation to speak the world into existence and put the sun to shine in the sky that's been there for all of these years. I'm glad he was strong enough to stay on the cross and pay for your sin and mine. One of my favorite salvation stories is a story of Andrew Jackson before he became the seventh president of the United States. He was referred to as General Andrew Jackson because of his leadership of the Tennessee militia. And in those days, the Creek Indians, uh, they not only were uh, protecting their territory, they were savage in their attacks. And they would not only fight in battle, but they would kill women and children. And they were bringing havoc in one day, uh, General uh, Andrew Jackson ordered a complete massacre of the Creek Indians uh, in North Alabama. After the battle was over, General Jackson on his horse uh, with a group of his military leaders, uh, they began to survey the battleground and there they found uh, the dead bodies not only of the many Indians that had been killed, but even some of his own soldiers lay on the battlefield. To their surprise, a toddler lay in that, uh, uh, in that mess of the battlefield and the, and the toddler was alive and crying. And one of the men on his horse, uh, seeing the toddler, uh, said to General Jackson, what do we do with the baby, sir? And Andrew Jackson said, give the baby to me. They picked up that toddler. They gave him to Andrew Jackson he could have taken his life, but he did not. 
He took that boy to his own home, adopted him as his own son, and that boy lived. In fact, he died as an older teenager of, I believe, of a heart failure, rheumatic fever of something in that day. Uh, But he took that toddler and he adopted him as his own. And may I say, because of the greatness of Christ, not just his power, but his meekness to hang on the cross between heaven and earth. You see, once I was clothed in the rags of my sin, wretched and poor, lost and lonely within, but with wondrous compassion, the king of all kings in pity and love, he took me under his wings. I deserved a devil, devil's hell. I'm the sinner. I'm the guilty one. You're the sinner. You're the guilty one. Oh, but the great power of Christ, not only to live for man and die for man, he, he stayed there on the cross until the price was finished and he went to the tomb and after three days he arose victoriously. Now this morning the message is not just for us to understand of what happened in David and Saul's life and the example of Christ but the application this morning is to say to you and I it is not always in our best interest to use our strength but to control our strength for the best of a situation. Are you with me this morning? Do we see the picture? I ask you this morning, do we exercise meekness in our lives? Do we exercise the control of strength and power in our own lives toward others? It was this strength that David convinced his most harsh enemy that he was a mighty man, not just because of his physical strength, but his strength to control his own behavior. How do we treat the poor? How do we treat the weak? How do we treat those around us each day at work? How do we treat our friends and family? Do we use our power or authority or position or knowledge or wisdom as abuse? Or do we use it as an act of kindness or aid or to edify and strengthen them? saw the story this week of a man that saw a dollar bill laying on the ground and Naturally, he picked it up and put it in his pocket. Dollar bill just laying out in the grass. By the way, I wanted to send him a note and say, I think that was mine. The one I had had a one in each of the four corners there. But then he thought, I saw some pennies this morning on the ground. I didn't pick them up because what's a penny? The application of the story, some I treat kindly and with respect. Others I see they have no value and I leave them as they are. May I say everyone deserves to hear the gospel of Christ? May I say everyone deserves a smile and deserves kindness. And if Christ is living in us, woe be to my flesh that would cover or disguise or keep Christ from shining forth in my life. I don't want anything that I would have as far as a power or position or ability or strength to be demeaning or hurtful to another creature of God but to exercise a meekness that some may laugh at and mock and call weakness when it's not. It is simply power that's under control. 
Solomon said it like this, Proverbs 25, 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. James chapter 1, verse number 20, the Bible says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Would to God we believed in prayer as much as we believed in our wrath. Psalm 25, 9, the meek he will, will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Psalm 37 and verse number 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Romans chapter 12, Verse number 14, bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. It'd be a lot easier if I preached a sermon against the sins of the heathen in the third world countries this morning. It'd be a whole lot easier if I pointed out the failures of government that we can't control, but we can control how we live our lives toward others. There are nine statements I want to make and I want to do that in less than five minutes. Listen to these statements. Number one, I repeat, meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. Overlook those who may laugh at you, those that mock you because you do right rather than what you may have the strength to do. Number two, Meekness is a goal to have in our lives. This morning my desire is to not take the truth of meekness to hit us over the head with, but to say meekness is a goal that we ought to live toward in our life. That's how we ought to desire to treat folks. We ought to desire to treat folks with kindness, not to take advantage of any authority or take advantage of any wisdom or, or education, but simply being kind. Can I tell you this morning, the hope of this world is Christ, but Jesus is not here physically. He's only here in spirit, living within us. Do you hear me this morning? The only Jesus this world is going to see this week is through you and me. The people that will check you out of a store, that will hand you a sandwich through a drive through window, that will assist you. Can I tell you this morning, somehow or another, we as God's people need to learn from this lesson of David and say, maybe it's what Saul deserves if I killed him. Ah, but wait a minute, Saul belongs to God. God's the one that put him there. I better just be David and let Saul be Saul and let God be God. What a lesson. I'll give you the third thing. Meekness is a decision. It's not, a, it's not an emotion. It's not an overwhelming feeling. You decide to be meek. Number four, meekness is Christ-likeness. Meekness is being like Christ. Number five, meekness is possible. May I say that David did not always exercise meekness in his life. And the times that he failed was when he took advantage of a position rather than obeying a principle in his life. The times of his failure. But I'm saying this morning, meekness is possible. I say number six, 
Meekness requires growth. Growth in grace, growth in our strength. Meekness requires growth, the control of who we are. Number seven, meekness is the greatest of strengths. Meekness is the greatest of strengths. Probably everyone would want it to be said of them, he killed a giant. A lion came and took a bear from the flock, and, or took a bear, took a sheep from the flock. I've got my bears and lions and sheep all mixed up. If I didn't get mixed up, you wouldn't get half the sermon. The lion came to get the sheep. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we could say, why, that lion came in there and got my lamb. I'll tell you what I did. I went over and I grabbed him by the hair of the chinny chin chin and I said, hey bud, that's my lamb, not yours. By the way, that lamb, or that, that lamb, that lion skin in the den, that's the, that's the lion that tried to get my, now we'd all like that to be said about us. It probably never will, but it could be said that I was kind to those I didn't have to be. I was good to those that maybe didn't even deserve. I'm talking about real Christianity this morning. I'm talking about repaying evil with good. Number eight, meekness must be exercised just like all strengths or we will lose it. Last of all, meekness is rewarding and perhaps the most rewarding of all strengths. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I would ask you to stand to your feet. As we examine our lives compared to this character trait, I must say some of the greatest rewards of my life have been from meekness, but some of the greatest failures in my life is not keeping strength or power or attitude or temper or words under control. May the Holy Spirit of God guide us and direct us to a place of a decision this morning. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you need to be born again. I would invite you even now to trust Christ as your Savior. If you're here today and you've been saved but not baptized, I would invite you to follow Christ in believer's baptism this morning. Perhaps it's church membership or perhaps this morning there needs to be a rededication of your life to Christ. Whatever the decision is, we ought to make that decision for Christ this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Word of God. And many, many times I've preached on the other strengths of David. But his greatest strength in this day of power under control is no doubt his greatest day of strength. May it be a goal. May it be a desire. May it be where we're working toward. God, may you help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.